Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, aka Chef Sonic. And we are the Gym Wits. So I w- was rendered speechless the other day. Like I couldn't I couldn't figure out what to say for, for the first time. Maybe not the first time ever, but it's rare that I I can't think of anything to say given like thirty minutes to figure out what to say. Yeah, well um, <laughs> certainly not the first time speechless. Like I can remember back uh, to uh, junior high and high school whenever Ryan and I would go to try to meet girls or something <laughs> like that. He yeah. always seemed to be speechless at that okay, time. Fair enough. <laughs> As an adult. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so um, I was kind of the stars aligned because I was like work, work stuff, kind of people canceled work and my wife sent me an email saying, oh, look, Michelle Obama is doing a book signing at, at um, Barnes and Noble. And like, really? And so I look up and like the whole rule, long, I'll, I'll keep a long story short, but basically long story short, I got into the book signing. There's only 500 people that could, could do it and I was able to get get ticket, get in. Um, and then like, you know, they're lining you up and you're working through this whole line where it's like, okay, once you get to meet her, you know, you have, you have a you know, moment, you can talk to her, you can say hi, whatever. And I'm like, I got a whole half hour I'm walking through. I'm like, all right, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I'm running through it. And then when I finally got like to my place in line to shake her hand, I couldn't think of what to say. I was like, I, I was just couldn't say anything. So I just like kept saying thank you, but thank you for what? For, I, I just, that's all I could say. You couldn't just <laughs> think of something generic like no. Well, know, the, so like I thought of a couple. I thought of the generic stuff, but then I was like, "But everybody's saying that, so I don't want to say that." So well, I was going to tell her to run, like you should run in twenty twenty. I'm not going to say that because everybody's going to say that. So well, I just couldn't do it. I, I don't know. I, I we're going to try to figure out something poignant. No, I don't know. Like, I could just anything, but but just nothing. My my brain was just empty. I mean, if you <laughs> uh, you could have gone weird with it, you, why, why didn't you, you ask her to be on the gym wits? Yeah, right. That would have worked. Well, look, she would have <laughs> yeah, remembered sure. at least. Be like, some weird guy asked me to be on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. on something called the Gym Wits. She'd at least remember it. She'd know yeah. the name of the Gym Wits. You're right. Yeah. Okay. I should. I should have. There you go. You know, actually, that the thought did pass by. That that thought passed. <laughs> I'm sure I, it did. I thought I, I did. I did spend a good maybe five or six minutes. I, why I have to get that specific? You, you but I said, I probably, hey, you want to? No, no, you could talk well, about your arm workout. I, I spent five or six minutes trying to think of a clever way to incorporate the gym wits, and I just couldn't think of any way that wasn't just clearly me trying to just, just go for it. You know, I should have. It. I should. Have, I should have brought you with me. That yeah, would have yeah, worked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know why I didn't think about I'm that. Pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yeah. So, so um. <laughs> Uh, as you all may know, Ryan and I are pretty big combat sports fans, and there was a couple fun incidents uh, that we'll discuss quickly before we get to our uh, really fun interview. And uh, did you did you check out the the Wilder Fury fight at all? Uh, yeah. What'd you think of that? Uh, pretty. I mean, it's funny. It it pretty much went the way you'd expect it. Fury was a better technical boxer won most of the rounds probably arguably won the fight wilder had his moments because he's just super powerful um but you know i think it was a i i think you could you know if you're really charitable you can give that a draw but i do i think fury did enough to win do you think just in general heavyweight boxing is not at the level that it was I guess I don't know. I mean, you know that it's it's hard to say. I mean, it isn't. But is it the notoriety or is it the skill level? Like, yeah, that's well, that's what I'm wondering. So I don't, I don't these, know. Putting modern training and stuff aside, would these guys be able to stand up to like a Holyfield or a Frazier Tyson? No, probably like not. Okay. But you know, they also got to consider. 
you know, another important thing, you guys at that size have a lot of options um, physically and in sports to make a lot more money without getting punched in the face. So you wonder how much sure. of it has to do with like what percentage of great athletes of that size are going into like, you know, boxing and what are going into other sports. And, you know, and over the years, boxing has got, you know, it's kind of diminished quite a bit. Um, and so, yeah, you wonder like why or what or how much, you know, of it really yeah has to do with like the caliber of athlete. Just, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, six three, two hundred fifty pounds, super fast and athletic. You know, you could go to the NFL. I mean, granted, you're still probably going to end up with CT. Uh, you know, you could play major league baseball. You could play hockey. You know, I mean, you play do so many things that will will net you more money potentially um, without the same kind of punishment. Um, yep, I've know. often said that. So now, what did you think about um, about the Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz uh, trilogy fight? If I you mean, want to call it that. You know, <laughs> Tito Ortiz makes it tough to like him. You know, he's very tough to like. Him. He, he's so. I, I mean, he's always I don't, been I like don't that. like him. Yeah, uh, you know. So, and I, I really could, wanted to too at right. one point. If anybody but. doesn't know, I think we'll give a brief little explanation. So, you have, so obviously MMA related. Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell, um, two of the most important fighters of uh, in, in the history of the sport. Really, you know, you, I mean, give credit where credit's due for Tito. He, he did a lot to bring the sport forward, especially in, in like kind of the the dark ages of the sport. And he was probably the biggest star for for a period. Yeah, he of was time. one of the first big marketable stars. Um, and then Chuck Liddell was probably the the big the first breakout breakthrough star in MMA. I think Chuck Liddell, where, where Tito Ortiz was the guy who carried the torch. Um, when there weren't any other major stars, really, Chuck Liddell was the guy that was the first, you know, mainstream like household name in the sport. Um, and they fought twice when they were both at or around their primes. And Chuck Liddell knocked out or TKO Tito Ortiz each time, right? It was each one was yeah, TKO? Yeah. Like very clear, decisive like victories. Um, and so now Liddell at you know towards the end of his career was knocked out a bunch of times. Um, and, and just did not look good and looked like his chin had just given away and looked like, you know, for lack of a better word, an a old man. A lot of man. mileage on him. Yeah, yeah, a lot of mileage. I mean, you know, granted, he did, he fought a lot, fought a lot of wars, and just at some point his body broke down. Um, and he hasn't fought since two, 2010? Was it 2010? Yeah, it was a long time. Um, now, Tito Ortiz is a little bit younger and seems to have kept himself in better shape. And um, so they had this kind of, quote, trilogy fight where, I mean... Yeah, Liddell, these guys didn't like each other. Yeah, they didn't like each other. There's a lot of bad blood. Liddell, Chuck Liddell looked like an old man. I mean, he, I mean, just the way he moved. His body looked okay physically, but he just moved really poorly. And, and you could see it in the training videos. You could see it in the lead up to the fight. And Tito Ortiz, you know, moved like a guy who's early. Like, so Liddell's 48. Tito, I think, is 42, 43. And Tito moved like a guy who's, you know, 43, but but moves well and, and is, you know, still doesn't have the same kind of mileage. And so Tito Ortiz won a fight against a guy who just looked like a shell of a former self. And, uh, I mean, it's bad enough for the sport because, you know, you, that's the that's a situation where somebody dies. You know, you, you get this bad situation where something bad happens and looks really bad for the sport. But then on top of that, um, Ortiz kind of made it sound like, yes, I finally proved that when healthy, I could beat him. You know, that I was the better man the whole time. And it's like, no. No, you 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 beat a guy that was a shell of himself when he beat you twice. You can't you can't like kind of move the goalposts now and say you're the better fighter. It just makes it really tough to you know. Yeah, I don't I don't like so. him. Yeah. I, I don't like Tito. Now, what did you hear? Uh, Dana White, the pr um, president of the UFC, is he still the is he still the pre is that still his title? I I think so. Right? Something like that. So did did you hear what he had to say about Oscar De La Hoya? 
who I mean, was the promoter of the fight. Yeah, I mean, I think he doesn't like him. Now, I don't, I, I don't know. Oh, I'm he not, had some real harsh words. Yeah. Uh, just briefly, De La Hoya, the, the famous boxer, was basically saying that MMA paydays are a joke and that his promotion were going to pay the fighters a lot more. And boy, did he get a rude awakening uh, when he realized that you, it's hard to pull up that sort of money. Yeah. And most of his undercard fighters got paid like 3000 <laughs> you know, you know, three and three, three thousand, you know, to to show three thousand to win, right? And some of them were amateurs, so they didn't get paid at all. Yeah, and it it was just a joke. And Dana was was furious. He was calling him a a, a cokehead, stuff like that, which which sort of hits deep because Oscar De La Hoya has had st- uh, a few stints in rehab. So <laughs> Dana went right for the jugular, calling him you know lots of expletives and. Yeah. Was yeah, he was not I mean, happy. I think, and he thought because he, he he was saying that he's a friend of Chuck and that Chuck shouldn't have been fighting yeah. and that that uh, De La Hoya exploited him. Yeah, I, I mean, from the way it looks, yeah. Uh, look, we neither we're not in the middle of it, and I think you know you always have to take Dana with a grain of salt. I think he's a guy who's got a very fiery temper would be a, a generous way to put it and he um he doesn't mince words especially when there's conflict with somebody but you know look if if he and De La Hoya were partners in a week or a month or a year he'll have the nicest things to say about him you know just look at anything <laughs> yeah anytime Dana's had issues yeah, with somebody you know most recent one is Ben Askren right so you know I think you always have to be careful you know um I've heard from people you know I have a couple friends that are kind of quote in the know that I mean, they just don't have anything good to say about any boxing promoters, whether it's De La Hoya or, or anybody, really, Aram or anybody. So it seems like there just is a, I don't know, a corruption slash exploited, exploitation problem in, in, in that world. Um, and, and I think you see it in MMA too, but not, not to the same extent. And I think he's right, um, though, saying that, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to pay people more, but it's another to see what the reality is in MMA. Um, I still, I think... There's a difference between De La Hoya, this fledgling promotion, not paying his fighters, and, and Dana, where I think they, there is more money there. And, and also, you know, you have other situations like with the sponsorships and things like that, where guys were getting compensated enough through the sponsorships, and then they lost that, and so then they lose the, they lose the massive con- compensation they were getting, and then they're getting this kind of the the kind of paltry amount that they're getting from the UFC, and that's a whole other issue, I guess. But yep. Well, what do we have on tap for today? I'm supposed to, to ask meet you that discussion. Yeah. <laughs> well, All right. Well, uh, we have to it. Chris Del Vecchio. So we have a great discussion on kind of training, lifestyle, lifestyle training, and uh, it's really, really fun chat we have with uh, Chris. So without further ado, here's our interview with Chris Del Vecchio. All right. So Chris is a lifestyle specialist, which <laughs> you know we all certainly need some some help with that. And as we often say, that the, really the key to being healthy and fit. Is, it's all about choice, especially lifestyle choices. So that's, um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll jump into that big time. But as we always ask, your background, uh, especially when it comes to fitness, if um, you, you got into, if you played any sports as a kid, uh, maybe if you started lifting weights as a teenager, what, how you found your way into fitness. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I grew up playing hockey. Um, that was my sport on skates since I was five years old. Ended up uh, going to college, played Division One college hockey at Quinnipiac oh, wow. University, not too far from you guys in Hamden, Connecticut, um, and helped build the D1 program over there. And I'd say going into my freshman year of college, um, 
I still had not really, I was about 18 years old at that time, had never really approached the weight room, you know? And so, um, coming back after my freshman year, I got knocked around a little bit on the ice by some of the, some of the older players. And, um, and my coach had told me that it was important that I put on size to come back and play the following year. So I took that seriously, went home and in three months gained 30 pounds. I cranked up my diet for the first time, really paying attention to food. I was very consistent in the weight room. I started taking, you know, creatine and glutamine and other supplements that were really, uh, new on the market at the time. So, you know, my body was like a, a sponge just soaking up everything that I introduced. And so, um, coming back into the hockey season, uh, the following year, it, you know, the size was great, but I didn't anticipate how difficult it was going to be to play at the speed that I was able to play at before now having an extra 30 pounds. So I kind of went from a little bit more of a finesse player to, to a more of a bruiser <laughs> in a matter of, you know, six months. Um, but, you know, I, I was fascinated with the process that I've been able to manipulate my body and change my body at such a short period of time and all within my own control, the choices that I was making, um, it, it, you know, it was a science. You know, I felt as though by the time I graduated college, even though I was a business management major, I probably could have minored in chemistry just for my own, my own bro science and personal research and endeavors and just experimenting. Um, I was a, a, a practitioner of everything I could get my hands on to, uh, to modify and manipulate my body. Um, and so played a couple more years of hockey before before uh, lifting weights became a, a passion of mine completely. And I left hockey behind and, and moved into competitive bodybuilding um, and did my first amateur show, Muscle, uh, Muscle Mania, which is a big circuit that goes around the U.S. Um, and, and from there, it turned into a small modeling career, fitness modeling career, uh, which then I translated into moving out to L.A., um, spending 12 years in an acting career doing TV, film, and commercial work. Um, and, and I'm bringing all those things up because every step along the way in my life demanded or required some sort of uh, some level of physical fitness. And so it's always just been a part of my life, whether it was necessary for a sport, whether it was necessary for a job. Um, and, and inside of all of those needs, I guess, I started to learn and discover the passion for really taking care of your body from the inside out and not just the physical appearance. Um, you know, and, and, and fitness, I think in general is just a vertical market. It's always changing. It's always growing. We're always learning and experimenting and figuring out new things about the body and about supplementation about nutrition. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just a deep fascination and passion of mine. And to be able to, to guinea pig a lot of, the uh, the protocols that I that I subscribe to along my journey, I, I I really thrive on on being the first one in to to try to test these things out and play around and and then share that with the people that I work and coach. So, and so can you tell us a little bit about your kind of start in um, I guess in the world of health, fitness, wellness as a career. Mm -hmm. So I've been. As a struggling actor in L.A., you know, it's never easy. Sometimes you're working, sometimes you're not. Uh, so to make ends meet in between acting gigs, I was bartending and I was also running my personal training business. And there wasn't a lot of passion behind the training business at the time. I was still young. I, I still had a lot of opportunities coming to me on the acting side. Um, but I found as the years went on, I was coaching 
a lot with clients and more lifestyle coaching. You know, we were spending time during our sessions talking about other issues that are going on in their lives or, you know, other issues that they're dealing with or facing with their body. It wasn't just coming in and hitting the weights. And so, um, I found I was getting some really interesting results with the people I was working with. I mean, having some pretty massive breakthroughs, you know, helping someone who was struggling with alcoholism for many, many years, being able to, to help them through that and, and get sober, um, helping heal many relationships and started to transition and doing some like life coaching couples therapy. But what I was finding is that as I was blending that into the fitness piece, um, I was getting the results were happening much faster. And so I realized that there was a, a, a niche here that health from the inside out, focusing on mind, body, spirit, and healing the inside was what was getting me the quick results on the outside. And so, um, so towards the end of my acting career, uh, 2011, 2012, let's say, um, I realized that I, I started to see an opportunity because I had a lot of people coming for, for support. So I set a goal to, to build my business within one year while I was still bartending and while I was still auditioning from time to time. And within that first year, if I were to hit that goal, then I would walk away from acting. I'd walk away from bartending and I'd move onto this business 100%. And so two days shy of the, the one year mark, I ended up hitting my financial goal that I had set for myself. And I called my agent that day and let them know that I was done. I walked into the bar the following day and told them that I was done. And I went home for Christmas that year and came back January 1st and went full time into my business. Um, and, you know, it was just helping people understand that what you're doing in the gym and a lot of the decisions you make often, you know, in, in the gym makes up a very small percentage of your overall results. A lot of the damage is done in the gym. And so working, helping people make better choices in their life from, you know, helping to improve sleep and stress management to nutrition and helping them really understand the science of nutrition, not just telling somebody what to eat, but helping them understand what to eat, when to eat it, why to eat it, what portion sizes, helping them raise their level of self-awareness to any types of food sensitivities, um, to pain in their body, you know, taking it to a level where you're focusing on the macro of this is your life and then working out and exercising in a small component of your life seemed to be the secret ingredient for my business. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen the trend catch on quite a bit over the last couple of years. And so I'm not saying I'm the only one who's ever been working from that approach, but just for me personally, I, that was, that was my whole direction um, and differentiating factor at the time of, of starting my business and still to this day. Yeah. So that sounds like, I mean, that's definitely something that I've noticed. Um, and yeah, it seems generally that, you know, or often that kind of fitness and nutrition issues are kind of symptoms of a larger problem. But I guess part of the, I guess one of the frustrations with the industry in general is that it's always about the quick fix and it's always kind of this thing will make everything better. So, and then unfortunately many clients buy into it. So how is it, do you find that it's a tough sell to convince somebody, you know, that look, yeah, I know you want to lose X amount of pounds, but let, you know, we need to clean up other, you know, kind of clean everything up and the weights, you know, are, are a small component. Like how do you find, do you find people receptive to, to it? Or do you, have you had to change the way you kind of pitch to people or do you kind of subtly kind of make those changes while kind of they're focused on think, you know, while their thought process is maybe, yeah, I just need to lose, you know, 20 pounds or do whatever, you know, whatever I need to do in the gym. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's different for everybody. You know, the, the delivery and how I present the programs and, and work and coach with each individual. That's really what I enjoy about it is the fact that it's custom designed for everybody. Everybody's coming from a different place, a different, you know, a different struggle that's usually leading to the reasons why they're calling me. Um, the way I kind of dictate that and, and take a little more control over that is I have a, an intake sheet that people fill out before we get started with a pretty intense list of questions. The first five are pretty generic, you know, how old are you, age, weight, height, what kind of food likes, dislikes, injuries, any type of vitamins, things you're taking. And then it dives a little bit deeper into questions like, what, would, what advice would your adult self give your 10-year-old self if you could go back in time? Um, what's holding you back from having the life you want? I mean, questions that really require you to think about it. And so, when I'm reading those responses from people, it gives me some insight as to what's really going on. Somebody who's, you know, I can see that there's all sorts of lack of accountability in the responses that they're, that they're giving me on that intake sheet. I can understand why they're now 30 pounds overweight and coming to me because the real issues we got to work on the, the self love and the accountability factor, as opposed to just coming in the gym and, and punching it hard. I mean, it work, they both work synergistically together, but the fact that I have those answers allows me, it gives me the invite to have these conversations during our training sessions to just get into dialogue and get them understanding that, you know, there's more to it than just coming to the gym and grinding it up. Because oftentimes when clients are coming to me, they usually end up training less and eating more, which is completely counterintuitive to what most people think is how they lose weight. They cut back their calories and they increase their intensity of their workouts. And what happens there is that cutting back their calories, they're shutting down their metabolism and training seven days a week balls out is, you know, elevating cortisol levels and overstressing the body. They never get a chance to rest and recover, which is where all the growth happens and all the magic happens. And so, you know, it, it's, it just gives me access to understand a little bit more and then allow me the permission to engage in those types of conversations that can get us into dialogue to kind of let them almost talk themselves into what's really going on as opposed to me trying to like pull it out. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. no, absolutely. And um, yeah, it, it sort of makes me um, think of this, the, the word success, right? It's, it, you try to define it in, um, or not you, but the, the fitness industry tries to define it in very tangible terms, right? Yeah. Especially something... 7% body fat, you've hit it. You yes, it. exactly. They can sell or you'll lose 30 pounds in, you know, three months, whatever it is, right? Success are these tangible what's results. The, what's the one rep max? Yeah, yeah, just something you could sell, something that's easy, but almost like... Yeah, that, that, okay, so that, that could be one way of defining success. But for you... What is your definition of success for a client, either on the fitness personal training level or even in a, in a lifestyle setting? So, so one of the things I do, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, I definitely incorporate some of those measuring tools because at the end of the day, my goal isn't to like take people away from thinking that they still need to be working out and losing weight because that's important. But I'm trying to help them understand that it's not just about going to the gym like that's not the only thing that's going to change it there's other things you got to pay attention to so one of the things that i do is i do photo updates with my clients every two weeks without fail there's no questions asked 
if you have your photos coming up and you feel like you've been slacking on cardio or you've been eating like shit throughout the week, it's going to show up in the pictures. Or if you've been on point, following your program, holding yourself accountable, making the changes, working on your commitments, then that also will show up in the photos. So, so it's a way for me to not have to be the bad guy and not have to be the drill sergeant. I'm nobody. So I always tell people, I'm, I'm not your parent, I'm not your babysitter. I'm not going to scream and yell at you. We're simply just going to do photos every two weeks because I can tell from the photos what's happening with your body. And I can also get an idea of where we need to make adjustments in the program along the way. But the beauty of the photos that can also work the opposite direction is that oftentimes people in the first couple weeks to a month or so sort of feel like they're not getting results. It, it happens often. But the reality is they are getting results. And so the photos help to get them out of their heads. Because as human beings, when we look at ourselves, we're automatically conditioned to look at things we don't like. And we just hang on that and grind on that those things that we don't like. And it blurs our vision, creates blind spots from us being able to see the areas where there is make where there is progress happening. Um, you know, I always say the photos are the truth. You know, we're we're living inside of these pre-recorded stories that we have in our heads. So when you're looking in the mirror, you know, you might not be looking at your, how great your chest and your shoulders and your arms are looking because you're so focused on the fact that your love handles are still there. Right. But when I'm taking the photos every couple of weeks and I'm being, I'm able to show them what's going on through those photos, that's one of the ways that we measure and track the progress to help them understand, Hey, listen, this is all now part of you making good decisions and what I call stacking pennies every single day. It may not make a huge difference what you're doing today in this moment, but compounded over time, it starts to add up. And you see that in a two-week window. I have that two-week window very specifically because that's plenty of time to see results moving or, or not see results moving. So now, it's interesting that you say that because Ryan and me and, and Tony, our dietitian for that matter, we often talk about that, that growth should be slow and steady and then over time whether you're trying to gain muscle right lose weight most of us are not genetic freaks and we just can't put on a ton of muscle overnight we just can't lose weight there's a very very small percentage of people that can just do anything and, and, and have the body they want uh, with and and for that reason the fitness industry sells you know the the get you know the the get rich quick scam, scam of, of fitness right or weight loss so that's almost been in, embedded in us, right? To want something quick, want these quick results. So how do you sort of, I don't want to use this word sell, but I guess how do you sell your clients on the notion of the stack? I love that analogy, stacking pennies, that this is the long-term recipe for success and that everything that while it's not the sexiest, it's this is how you are going to be happy for the duration of your life. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's actually pretty easy because most people are already coming to me with data that has shown the the fast results don't don't stick. So most of my clients are you having come to me having tried something once or twice or three times and they got great results, but then they fell right back or it felt really good. And so it's interesting because this is what I call. Um, I have a spectrum that I use with my clients. <clears throat> it's one to 10, one being the worst you'll ever be and 10 being the best you'll ever be in your life in terms of how you look and how you feel. And I feel like truly most people live between a three and a six. 
right? Most people never really hit their rock bottom. They don't really know what they think that three is their rock bottom, but they've never really felt rock bottom. And so three, because it feels like rock bottom, it's enough to put a fire under their ass for them to do something. And it's typically cut all my carbs. I'm doing cardio five days a week, killing it, weight training twice a week. You know, I'm doing these juice cleanses. I mean, you name it. They'll do whatever they got to do. Go super extreme, not sustainable. Whatever they got, whatever they heard from their best friend or seen on Facebook or Instagram, and they crush it for as long as they can, which isn't that long, usually a couple months or so. And in their minds, they think they've hit a 10. And really, they've only gotten themselves to a six. But it's better than the three, so it feels really good. And shortly after you feel like you've hit that 10, you know, the wheels start to come off very slowly. Add in a couple nights of drinking, another day of eating shitty food, another late night not getting sleep, another missed gym session. And before you know it, you're sliding right back to that three. And so that quick fix is that three to six range. And so what I talk to my people or my clients about and encourage them is that I want to help show people how to get to the true 10. I'm going to give you 90 days to work your ass off, stay focused and committed, focus on rest and recovery, focus on lifestyle, take care of yourself, and see if we can get you to what would be considered your true 10. Do you have what it takes? And when you get to that true 10, then I'm going to teach you how to slide back and live between a 7 and a 10 instead of a 3 to a 6. Because a 7 to 10 range, 7 is living life, man. 7 is... I'm in good shape. I feel strong most of the time. My energy is good most of the time. Half the time I'm staying on point with food and keeping it clean. The other half, I allow myself to have some nights out with drinks or food, pizza, whatever. That's your seven. Then the 10 becomes, I have a wedding to go to in three months. I've got a vacation I'm going on in six weeks. There's a pool party I've got to hit in a couple weeks. There's a reunion I'm going to. There's something that an event that comes up in your life that demands or requires you to step your game up and you know exactly what you need to do to get to that 10 range. But the 10 is not sustainable. You can't live at 10 your whole life. This, this image, to your point of what we see on, on social media and the, the quick fix, we also see a lot of influencers who are always dialed in. And the reality, and a lot of them are forthcoming about it, the fact that they're not staying dialed in all year long because it's not, it's not, they can't maintain that. So they have a point of time that they, they, they diet and prep their bodies and get dialed in. They do several photo shoots, lots of different types of appearances so that you get a glimpse of what they look like. And then they use that, those images throughout the year. But the rest of the time, they're finding their ways to slide back into that seven. So creating that spectrum for people usually becomes this moment where they realize, holy shit, you're right. I've actually never really pushed myself and, and really considered what my life could be like living at a real true 10. I do always kind of slide back and forth into this other range where it's like I start to feel it's impossible for me to ever break out of this. Like nothing works. And it's not that nothing works. It's you're not working it right. You're not working your life right. You're not your level of self-awareness and paying attention to what your body needs and making consistently healthy choices. are It's not there. So that's really, you know, what I feel becomes the, the downslide, but also it becomes the, the major talking point to help kind of inspire them and get them thinking about bigger picture, you know, creating, creating examples that are relatable for them to understand and go, shit, that's me. It's exactly what I do.
So what uh, what percentage of your clients would you say right now are, are remote, or is is are most of your clients the, um, kind of online remote training, or do you have do you still do well, a lot of one on one in person? Fifty percent of my clientele I train locally here in person, yeah. and fifty percent of my clientele I train remotely all around the world. I've got clients in Asia, Europe, all over the U.S. I even have a lot of clients locally that live here in California, um, but they travel quite a bit for work, so they're always you know, in and out of hotels and, and all over the place. So it's easier for them to be on the remote program, um, which provides them a lot more flexibility, with the same level of support and assurance and guidance to, to, to keep them on point. So what are some of the, cause having kind of done some remote training and, and knowing people have gone through it, um, you know, it's one of those things that if it's done well, it can be really effective, just as effective as one-on-one in person. Um, but if it's done poorly, it, it it, there's there are some drawbacks. So if you can describe, like, what are some of the drawbacks for remote training, and how do you uh, kind of how do you design your programs to kind of overcome those potential drawbacks? Um, to, to be honest, I don't really feel a lot of the drawback. You know, I, I understand what you're saying, and I think that there's definitely the potential for there to be drawbacks if it's not done right. But I feel as though I've set my the way I've set up my programs and designed the way that I operate with my my clients for, remotely. I get just as good of results with my remote clients as I do with my in-person clients because every single day I'm touching base. I'm checking in. The thing that people need is the check-in. They need somebody to hold them accountable but also care. You know, The other theme that I find is that I usually care more than, than the clients do about their, their success and their results and sure. are they making good choices throughout the day. And it, What's interesting is that it kind of works in a reverse psychology way. Because I'm constantly checking in. I, I just have this weird sixth sense of just remembering a lot of information from a lot of people and able to just kind of hold it and compartmentalize it. So a client that I spoke to yesterday that I know has a soft tissue appointment tomorrow. Like when I wake up in the morning, I just remembered, like ping them and send a note. Hey, let me know how the soft tissue appointment goes. And they're like, oh, I forgot I had it. Okay, yeah, great. It's like when you start to feel like Dude, this guy like is on top of his game and it's not even his life. Like. I should probably take my life more seriously. Like I should probably take these things more seriously. This guy's all about it. So it's like I'm just I'm teaching them by proxy about what it takes, what it feels like, and what it looks like to be invested, you know, to, to pay attention, to be organized, to have to to raise the stakes of of the, your game of life, you know, to care about these things. This guy cares so much. I'm kind of acting like I don't care. Like, oh man, like it's almost it's just the the, the it almost happens just like I said by proxy of just being around it to feel like this guy like I need to be on more on top of my game and so that's really been the 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 um, the you know the secret sauce there for me with the remote training you know and keeping keeping the clients progressing and on point it's just constantly touching them back and forth if I'm not hearing from them I'll text them and be like what's new haven't heard from you just to get them thinking like I want to hear from you you know, because um, it's very easy when you're not seeing clients to just forget about them or yeah. let them just fall by the wayside. And so, you know, from other trainers that I've spoken to that, you know, tried to work remotely. I mean, I think that's kind of what I pick up from them is that like, well, I didn't hear from the client. And it's like, well, yeah, but they're paying you and like your job, you already know that they're not accountable. So you got to if, if you really want to get them the results and you really want to give them the level of service, like you got to be reaching out to them. You got to be checking in on them. If somebody's not pinging me, I mean, you'll, you'll hear from me 50 times. I don't care. I have no issues with that, you know, because to, to me, I'm trying to break the pattern. If you're frustrated with the fact that I'm always hitting you up, then maybe there's something we need to talk about inside of there to figure out where, where's the resistance, you know? 
Um, so yeah, I think it's just a level of engagement, you know, how, how much you're willing to work, how engaged you're willing to stay and, and, uh, is what's the secret sauce. But if you're not doing that consequently, I think that is where you find the, uh, the downfalls on the, on the remote side. Hmm. So, uh, well, it, it raises the question. So you're, you're often, which is great. You're often in contact with your clients. Do you ever get a call out of the blue from a client um, saying, oh, my, my husband or wife is leaving me. I have cancer. I have something, a, a, a big life issue. Can you just, uh, I need someone to talk to. Like, have you gotten those calls? All the time. Wow. I mean, I not not even just those calls, but I get, you know, with the in-person clients, you know, I, I work very instinctually and intuitively. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things that I, just, I, I just, I just understand people. I don't know. It, it, it was a, it was a skill that I was, I developed or I was born with, but I just, I just, I can, I have a large capacity for empathy. And, and so when I feel people, I, I don't really sit on the impulses of whatever's going on that I'm feeling. So there's oftentimes when clients come walking through the door and I can see it's just written all over their face. It's in their body language. You know, there's just something going on. And they're not ready to get into the gym and start working out. So it's let's sit down and chat for a minute, you know. And sure enough, it will turn into something bigger and deeper. And you know, had we gone onto the gym floor and just worked out, we would have spent an hour just going through the motions, as opposed to sitting down and talking about you know what's really going on and doing some of the emotional heavy lifting to where they turn around and walk out the door feeling a thousand times better than they did walking in. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how that whole piece works for me. And it happens often, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I never know what to expect or anticipate. I mean, I, I, sometimes those questions and conversations lead into, uh, you know, deep paths going back into childhood to something that's happening current in the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely have, have spent many, many sessions with clients, you know, in, in those areas in particular, like you talked about relationship um, career often, um, par excuse me, um, history with parents, childhood. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of struggling and suffering that tends to manifest itself in a physical manner, um, that comes from those topics. Yeah. Sorry. We were, we're in New York. So naturally whenever we do an interview, Even it out, a, a loud siren, of course. And as soon as we turn the microphones off, it's 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 dead gotta, silence. But then, we, gotta, we gotta get a couple FUs in the background too. <laughs> there you go, it's perfect. So um, uh, another weird question, and I, I definitely want to ask about your your book and you know the website and all that good stuff. But have you ever considered being a, like a Reiki healer or something along those lines? <laughs> have you um, ever looked into any of that stuff? Because like with, with you talking about being very intuitive and yeah. sort of uh, and uh, empathetic and and all sort of sort of all those ideas and those traits there reminds me a lot of people that go into like healing and those types of, you know those types of paths um yeah i mean you know it's interesting <laughs> i've never really considered going down that path but uh but you're right i mean it does <laughs> a lot of what i do does have that sense and that feel and i feel like the clients also feel the same way um, you know, a large portion of my business is referral, a large portion. And I think that's because I've, you know, I've, I've tapped into a market 
understanding that there's a lot of people who are, who are struggling and don't know how to get out of it. And, um, and I've been fortunate enough to work with some incredible people and, and be able to have some, some dramatic effects with people that talk about their experience that allow people to come back to me less about me, like promoting myself as this healer and more about just look, this guy's changed my life. Um, you know, maybe he can do the same for you. It sounds like you're going through something similar. So that, that tends to happen. And, and I don't know, for some reason, like the word healer kind of, <laughs> I know it's a little pretentious. You know, so. uncomfortable. Like I'm not <laughs> a platform like that kind of thing, but you know, <laughs> I guess, and, and I've always kind of struggled with titles and what I do. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with a couple where they came from traditional counseling, and and I remember her mother was just so baffled at how how she could be working with me. Like, what's his background? What's his experience? Like, what is he? What's his credentials? You know, I've never been, you know, classically schooled for psychiatry or, or psychology. It's been a huge fascination of mine for a long time. I've spent 20 years in self-development, working, reading books, studying with mentors, self-development workshops, and to this day still continue that process, you know, student of life. But it's one of those things that I don't really know how to explain what I do and how I do it. Um, I just do what I do, and uh, even that sound, kind of sounds lame. I just do what I do, but it's like I just trust in the process. So adding a title just for the sake of trying to grab a larger audience has never really appealed to me, or trying to relate to a specific audience because I don't know if that's necessarily what I do. Everything I, what I do is really a combination of everything: health, fitness, nutrition, you know, mindfulness, you know, healing, uh, you name it. You know, it, it's all in there. Um, so yeah, to answer that question in a roundabout way, I've never really thought about it, but that's kind of the reason why I guess I've just kind of always trusted who I am, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it without having to, I haven't needed to put anything on it to, to, uh, be able to work with clients and, you know, grow the business and get the word out there of what I'm doing. So I guess to shift gears a little bit, can you tell us, tell us about your book, um, kind of what what it's about, um, where people can find it, you know, inspiration. Yeah. Give us you know, whatever information you'd like to share. Yeah. So the five by two method, did you guys take a peek at it? Did you get a chance to get any sense of what, what's going on with it? A little bit, but not, not too much. Yeah. So the five by two method, it's a, it's a technique that I developed that kind of naturally came about for me. Um, are you guys familiar with the five minute journal? No. Okay. So it's another journal out there, you know, journal book. Um, and it's just one of those books that you write in every single day and it's kind of guided. It gives you lots of questions to follow. And so the last question of the day, every single day you fill out is what could have made my day better. Um, and so I found this pattern after about a month or so of looking back that every day I had written nothing today was perfect or nothing today was great. Like nothing could, like that just always seemed to be the theme. And so had you asked me prior to like going back and really paying attention to the pattern, I probably could have given you what I think, I would never say that I had perfect days, but I guess where I was coming from when I was writing the journal was that I, I really felt complete at the end of the day. I had a list of things that I needed to take care of and do, I did it. I worked with clients and made a difference with the people that I was working with and everybody was doing great, I did it. I took care of things I needed to take care of for myself, my own self-care, the business, family. For, I mean, 
there was just a lot of things I was checking on a regular basis. And so I, then I started to figure out why were my days so complete? And I had a very intentional routine that I was doing every single morning and every single night that I then realized was utilizing my five senses. So to give you an example, I wake up in the morning, I put on my slippers. That was touch. I'd go downstairs, I'd grind my coffee beans and smell the beans before I pour them in the machine. That was my smell. Then I would drink my coffee. That was my taste. I'd listen to a Gary Vaynerchuk podcast. That was my hear. And then C, I would read a positive quote from the Daily Ohm, which was a, a website that I subscribed to. So that was the way I always started off every single morning. So it just kind of set the tone to kick off my day on a positive trajectory. And at nighttime, I had a similar routine. I come home, put my slippers on again, light a stick of incense. I turn on some low ambient uh, lights. I turn on some low ambient music. Uh, and I'd have a tea that I would drink at night as well. So again, I had another nighttime routine that kind of bookended my days to help set my subconscious at night while I'm sleeping through the sleeping hours. And so I realized that this was actually a technique. Five senses twice a day bookends my day, sets me up for a good day, puts me to bed at night for a good day, and then they come together again at the mor in the morning. So it was a technique about creating a positive feedback loop, and it's very simplistic, very pragmatic. Um, in the book, I talk a ton about scientific research to back all of the uh, methodologies and points that I have come up with on my own. Um, to give you an example, you know, music has the power to actually shift our mood and shift our energy because the BPMs of the music actually affect the alpha brain waves. So there's, there's real science to back and support that, that the music that I would listen to at the end of my day to help calm me down was very intentional. It allowed me to create a shift in a moment whenever I felt and I would, whatever I felt anything. So even I would use that during the afternoon, if I had a stressful afternoon, I'd find a reggae station or I'd find chill, uh, chill, serious radio, something that would kind of bring my mood, my levels, my energy down. So, um, so really that's what the book is about, man. It's the five by two method, five senses twice a day is a way to help, uh, intentionally de-stress and, and, uh, and shift your body in a moment's notice to, uh, have a more positive day. Awesome. Well, Chris, very cool stuff. It's actually, it's actually making me think a lot about, you know, my day, you know, my routine and just a, just a, a lot of the, the things that you talked about. So thank yeah. you. I think the other thing too, that came, comes up for that is that, you know, it, it makes you think, it made me realize when I first realized what I was doing, it made me understand that, you know, I used to just grind my coffee beans and pour it in the machine and not smell it. all these moments that I just kind of rushed through in my life and didn't take a moment to just stop and appreciate the small little stop detail. Stop smell the coffee. Right. Stop and smell the roses. Literally. It's like you're just taking these moments, you know, like when you're driving along PCH on your way home and you've been sitting in traffic, are you just like sitting in your car thinking about how pissed off you are about the day you had in the traffic? Or are you actually like taking a moment to look to your right and real and look at the sunset as you're driving home towards the end of the day and recognize how grateful and lucky you are to live where you live or to see the sunset you know, along the, the ocean's horizon. You know, it's just, there's so many missed opportunities throughout the day that we can actually take control to shift our energy, to keep us in a more positive, happy place than we give ourselves credit for. Um, and then even that we're aware of. And so 
the book, you know, it does start to take a, a heightened level of self-awareness. People start doing an audit and checking in kind of much like you just said you did. Um, and, and, you know, and then, and there's a work workbook at the end of the book that teaches you how to build your own five by two and practice this technique by, you know, going through your life and realizing a list of things that you like that smells good or a list of things you like that you a certain sound, maybe it's wind chimes or maybe it's like the ocean waves. So you get a, a noisemaker, you know, so it's, it's, it's just a really cool, easy technique to apply on a daily basis that can really, um, heighten your level of self-awareness and, you know, as well as heighten your level of happiness. Great. So where can people find you? Like, I guess it is a website, email, social media, like where, where can our listeners find you? So our website is www.pmblife.com. It stands for premier mind and body.com. Um, so you can find a lot of information on myself, my programs, um, some of the different uh, stories that we've had, success stories we've had with clients. Um, not sure if you saw the one um, that kind of put me on the map about a year and a half ago with that high stake gambler. Did you have to catch that yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. So you can see the stories there. Um, the book is being sold also at that website, but we also sell it on Amazon. Um, and then I'm constantly loading up um, lots of content, tips, and techniques lifestyle hacks uh, on Instagram and Facebook and the Instagram handle is Chris DeVecchio. Uh, you can also find it on same, same handle on Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Jim Woods was a great discussion and good luck with, you know, with the business and with everything. Excellent. Thank you so much. So what do you think that concept of, being at a seven or an eight, uh, then you know, periodically going up to that 10, you know, really pushing yourself, being at the top of your training or you know, having as little body fat as possible or just being at, if you're tr competing for a sport, going all out and then sort of slipping back. Uh, that, that sounds negative, but that's, you know, that's what it is. Being at your sort of seven or eight, which is good most of the time, as opposed to being at like a, a four or a five of what you are capable of. I mean, I think that's the most realistic approach if you want to achieve 10 on a regular basis. You know, so I think if you're, if you're, if you're trying to stay at 10, it's incredibly hard and you'll probably hurt yourself or get become demotivated or frustrated or you're just psychotic. Um, and if you're too far below that higher, you know, the seven, eight, it's really difficult to, to get to the 10. So I think, you know, if you keep yourself at that high end, oh, you can't get to a 10. Yeah, I mean, you can't, right. right. But so, so, well, you can, you'll just drop back real fast. It, I mean, it's but, the, the word sort of, it's relative. Yeah. To, but, yeah. but, okay. So, but, but, I think even maintaining a seven or eight is difficult unless you make um, health fitness a priority. So I, I still think yep. that while it is is a great way and a great approach, and I like the approach, I still think that you know it is you still have to make it enough of a priority that you have to keep that into account when you're when you're kind of you know taking that approach to to your body but it's true i think you know that's the issue is that most people that you do see they're showing you themselves at 10 they're not showing you themselves 
you know, at an eight or nine, which is still very good or seven or eight, which is still very good, but they're not going to show, you know, they're not going to post those pictures because you you need that perfection quote unquote to, to kind of show. All right. So most people are are not looking to be fitness models or, uh, competitive athletes, either professional or even, you know, some people like to do amateur, a lot of amateur competition, but even most people don't do that. So, I like the idea of raising your raising the overall bar so you can live happily at a seven or an eight, sure. right? And then if you want to go up to a ten, you can. But you're just sort of in a in a healthy state. You look good. You feel good, right? And your your lifestyle is is sort of in a in a positive direction, a positive way. You can eat what you want, right? You're feeling healthy, and like you're sort of on your game. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think I just like I'm a little bit more skeptical that it, for, I think we're maintaining an eight is still hard. And so you Absolutely. just have to go into it with that mindset. So that's all. Like, they, I don't think it's a I think it's a good approach and it's effective, especially if you want to get to 10. But maintaining it is still still work. And it's still something that takes a lot of you know effort and time, you know, and, and you, so you still have to kind of it's a challenge even for that for, for most people. So I think that's the only thing you want to go into it with that in mind that. That maintaining it is tough, and you have to be aware of that. Like when we, we you know, we're, we're not talking about like you know, a couple days a week in the gym, you know, or you know, eating well most of the time. It's like you're still eating well, eighty percent of the time. You're still going to the gym, you know, five days a week. You're training really, you know, you're training hard. So it still requires a lot to put in. But I, but I totally think it's a, it's a solid approach. All right. So, uh, yep. Close this out. Yeah, well, I guess that's it. Um, <laughs> uh, whoa, in December already, which is insane. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, wow, time flies. Um, so anyway, that is it, um, Ryan George. Uh, all of our stuff, I'm, I'm like ahead of myself. Um, all of our stuff is at thegymwits.com. Uh, our social media, Facebook, um, all that good stuff, YouTube. Uh, we're everywhere. Uh, podcast me find. Or God damn it. <laughs> my, Drink my up that language. coffee. Yeah, I need more coffee. Anywhere podcasts can be found. Um, so I'm Ryan George. It's probably a good thing you didn't say anything to Michelle Obama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably how it sounded. <laughs> All right, I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And we are the gym ones.